0: Hello world, it's Shadé with The Girl Prince Speaks and I am so excited to go ahead and bring you my first recorded episode of my podcast. And I just want to just formally introduce myself and let you know a little bit about who I am. As I said, my name is Shadé. I am a historian. I am a person who has received a master's degree in history. I am also a history teacher. So I just wanted to share my information of like the things that I love to learn about with you and to just broaden your horizon on some things that you may not have known. I think that it's really 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 important to make sure that the history that we were not exposed to is brought in front of us. So many times we hear what the textbook has to say about what is supposed to be historical, but we never see our faces or stories that resemble things that we have heard from our parents or people that look like us. So it's important to make sure that we have information about our past being brought to us. And so I'm excited to go ahead and jumpstart this first episode and to just share many more episodes with you all. When I decided to plan for my podcast, I thought that it would be very important to make sure that I spoke about something that is relevant to make sure that what's going on now can be seen and shown that it has happened before us. It has happened prior to what's going on. And that event that I really focused on was the nomination for Kamala Harris as vice president. She is a woman that is going to make strides because she is a woman of Jamaican and Indian descent that does become vice president. Never in the history of this country have we seen a female become vice president in America. And it is very important and we do salute the fact, but I think that we can't necessarily just Think of all of her accomplishments without thinking about all the women that came before her. So that is what I chose to craft my entire first episode about in a segment, in a series that I like to call Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. And when I think about those giants, I think of the women that I'm going to be talking about that basically paved the way for Kamala Harris, that laid that foundation, that made that sidewalk for her to walk Right into that White House Because while she's there There were so many other women that did come before her That tried to get there And I think that every time They pushed and they pushed And they etched away a little bit I think that made her walk a little bit easier um For her to get where she is today So let's go ahead and jump straight into it The first woman I'm going to be talking about In this series is going to be Shirley Chisholm and just like any other episode, what I will do is try to bring you some background knowledge. I cannot assume that everybody knows about all the people that I'm going to be talking about. So I want you to know just a little bit of who they are before you understand like the accomplishments that they made. So looking at Shirley Chisholm, she is going to be born in Brooklyn, New York, November 30th, 1924. She is going to be the oldest of four children. If you're an older child, I'm pretty sure you know that that that's going to be a lot of weight on her shoulders because she's the first one, right? Not only is she the first child, she's the oldest child, she is also going to be a first generation child. Her father comes from Barbados, her mother comes from Guyana. And I know that in many, many cultures, no matter where you're immigrating from, when you immigrate to a new place, especially America, there's this notion that, you, you, you're kind of living like two different lives You're trying to make sure you don't lose your roots But you're also trying to make sure That you are basically adhering to your new your, your The place that you call home Which is going to be America So I think that it was a lot of weight on her shoulders To try to make sure she's not losing You know those Caribbean roots But she's also being who she needs to be Being a person first generation born in the States With that notion of being first generation, she is going to just encompass all of these different ideologies of hard work and not wanting to owe anyone. As she travels through her entire career, that is going to be Shirley Chisholm's main focus. I'm hardworking and I'm not going to owe anybody anything. When it comes time for schooling, Shirley Chisholm is actually going to attend the Brooklyn's Girls' School. In present day, the, the school is actually called the Brooklyn, was well, actually called Boys and Girls' School. It is located in Bedford Stuyvesant. So at one time, there was the boys' school, then there was the girls' school. Now they are co ed, they are no longer separated. She attended that school from 1938 to 1942. And then she is going to go on to go to Brooklyn College and graduate in 1946. Now, this is what I want to make sure that we are very understanding of. While Shirley Chisholm is growing up in Brooklyn there is still segregation. I think that that's something that a lot of people do not necessarily think of. They think, oh, New York, the North, there's no segregation. Yes, there is. And just a little, a small snippet. When you think about, if you've ever heard of the Green Book, the Green Book started in Harlem, which is in New York, right? And that's because they had to figure out safe places for black people to go where they would not face racial discrimination. So I know that traditionally we're taught that A lot of racism and segregation happened in the South. It did happen in the North as well. So I want us to make sure we keep that in mind as we're thinking of Shirley Chisholm and what she's fighting for. After college, um... She is going to do a number of things, but let's just backtrack a little bit. While she's in Brooklyn College, she is going to join the debate team. She enjoys debate. She is able to hold the conversation. She is able to argue her points. She does very well. But she does understand that there is a double-edged sword, a target on her back. She has two things going against her in this time she's black and she's a woman and we already know that when you're dealing in with the 1940s they're not going to society's not going to accept women they have this notion that women wear they should be in the house they should be taking care of children they should be doing domestic work right and so for her to want to pursue politics it is going to be a very difficult thing and even though she doesn't do it right away she will eventually get there after college As I said before, Shirley Chisholm is not going to immediately jump into politics. She's actually going to be a nursery school teacher. She works with the babies and she is going to eventually move away from that as she gets her master's degree in early childhood education from Columbia University. She's going to then become a consultant with a daycare division in New York City while she's working there she is going to become a major advocate for childcare and for working mothers making sure that they are getting the quality services that they deserve if you are a working mother the last thing you want to think about is what type of child care your child is receiving or making sure that you have enough child care because you do have to go to work and you have to make sure that someone's able to keep your child. So Shirley Chisholm was that person to advocate for the equality of child care for working mothers. In the year 1953, Shirley Chisholm is actually going to start making Hedgeway with her political career. She is going to start to help the first black judge in Brooklyn get his spot so she's going to advocate she's going to campaign she's going to make sure that she's like in that fight to make sure that he gets elected and the man that she's helping to run and like basically rally for is going to be named Louis Flagg Jr. This is then going to start leading to Shirley Chisholm in her own ventures in politics She is going to go on and she's actually going to serve in a New York State Assembly. She's going to advocate for many different things. She's going to advocate for the New York Youth Programs, which were programs that could help those underprivileged students who basically needed more credits, like they, they, Kind of needed to attend night school, possibly, but they also wanted to get some college going for themselves. Also for those students and for the youth that wanted basically to get some access to working. Also to get domestic workers equal pay. So Shirley Chisholm is going to be a person that's very much for the people. She's trying to make sure that there's equality. She wants to make sure that people are getting what they deserve out of the community in 1968 shirley is going to run to be part of congress she is actually going to be become the first black woman elected to congress she'll hold this spot from 1969 to 1983. that is a long time to be in a space to be able to have your voice be heard and for you you to become an advocate for the people now what is going to happen is Shirley starts to go by this slogan unbossed and unbought and that's actually what's going to get her into her her spot as the first black woman elected to congress now let's break down that term unbossed unbought she actually had this on the the mailers that she sent out to the community she had like a long list of like of course things that she was willing to do for the people and on there she said i am unbossed and i am unbought and i think that that was her way of letting people know like listen I am sending this information out so that you could vote for me because I am here to work for you. And I think when we start to look at a lot of the things that Shirley Chisholm did, she held up to that end of the bargain. She didn't need a boss, she was her own boss. She didn't need anybody's money because if she's saying that she's working for the community, she wanted the community to be the ones to donate. And that is exactly what she did. So on her mailers, there was like a little envelope at the bottom where they could send in their donations. And when you think about politics today and politicians today. You know that if you're getting endorsements from people, sometimes you have to adhere to what their demands are. And Shirley Chisholm, I think she knew that that was not going to be a go for her. Look, I need the the money from the people because I'm the voice for the people. I don't need money from no big corporation because then I'm going to have to cater to their needs. And then I'm going to have to cater to what they're asking me to do. And I think that this was a great slogan for her because she truly lived out these values. In 1972, she is going to run for president. Like she wants to get, you know, her, her voice heard. And so remember when I said in the beginning, there were so many women that paved the way. They tried to chip away. Kamala Harris is not the first woman who, who, who tried to run. So many women prior to her wanted to be president. But unfortunately, the laws and the blockades that were in place kept them from climbing that ladder. Not that they weren't capable. They just were not able because of what was system, you know, systematically put in place. Shirley Chisholm is going to, of course, not become president, but that does not stop her. She is going to become a major advocate for racial and gender equality. She understood. Remember, we said in the beginning, she understood that she had two targets on her. She knew that she was black. She knew that she was a woman. She knew that those were going to be two things that they were always trying to use against her when she was trying to step foot in a space. But what is very well appreciated is the fact that she kept Moving, She could have let those things be a deterrent factor for her, but she did not. She is going to advocate for reproductive rights. She is also going to be a major advocate for getting and expanding food stamps. Many people do not know that when food stamps was created, it was not accessible to many Black people. She is going to lobby for that and say, no, we need to make these food stamps available to more than just, you know, people who are in a poor white community or people that are in specific communities. Let's give it to women. Let's give it to people in a black community because they need help too. She is also going to lobby for the change in a minimum wage for domestic workers. At one time, domestic workers were basically like seen as the low, the, the lowest poll on the totem pole. I think that sometimes even now some domestic workers are not paid what they need to be paid but she did lobby to change that minimum wage so that they can get the the finances together that they needed in order to support themselves shirley chisholm is also going to co-found the african-american women for reproductive freedom which is going to be a strong supporting organization for black women to have a say-so in reproduction If you did not know, during this time in the 1970s, the 1960s, 1950s, there were so many wrong things being done to black women as it related to reproduction. Sometimes they did not have adequate access to medical care. And sometimes they were being sterilized in in hospitals to not have more children. So she is going to be a co-founder of African-American Women for Reproductive freedom, protecting the reproductive rights of black women. I'm going to read a quote that Shirley Chisholm stated, and she said this is how she wants to be remembered. She wants to be remembered as a woman that dared to be a catalyst of change. And I think even though this was such a short, you know, synopsis of who she was, how could we argue that she was not a catalyst of change? She was born in a time where Jim Crow is raving rampant. Separate but equal is law, It's constitutional. And she's saying, you know what? I understand that these are the eyes that are placed against me. And yeah, I was born in 1924. Yes, I graduated from college in 1946 and these are times where there's so much racial tension in the world and there's this is a time where women are not seen as equal to men but she said i'm going to keep it pushing and keep it moving and she made a lot of changes even though she did not stay in that nursery i think about the fact that she became you know she had a major in early childhood education and i think that always in her heart she wanted to do what was good for the welfare of Women and children and I think That that's very powerful I think That that is a catalyst of change to Show that you can be so selfless To make sure that while everybody doesn't Have a voice you will take The voices that you're able to hear And go into the spaces where Those voices are not present and you Will amplify those voices and I think it's important to know her Name to know that she is a giant She's someone who did come before Kamala and basically set the way And paved the way for A lot of the things that women are able to benefit from today, a lot of the things that black people are able to benefit from today, and brown people. So, if you did not know who Shirley Chisholm is, I hope that you learned something about her, and I hope that you can understand how much of a change she has been to American society. The next woman we're going to look at is Miss Ida B. Wells. Her story is going to be a lot different from Shirley Chisholm. She's going to have a different path that she takes. She's going to have different experiences, but we can see that both of these women are going to be considered powerhouses as and staples in the black community. Ida B. Wells is going to be born July 16th, 1862. She is going to actually be born enslaved as an enslaved individual. We know that Shirley Chisholm, she's going to be born in 1924 in Brooklyn, New York. She's not going to be enslaved. She is born free. Ida B. Wells is going to be born enslaved. 1862, this is going to be before Lincoln drives up the Emancipation Proclamation And is going to be way before Those critical three amendments Will come into play for black people If you don't know what those three amendments are It's going to be the 13th amendment Which is going to basically Have grant emancipation We are going to have Which is liberty We're going to have the 14th amendment Which gives citizenship And the 15th amendment is like suffrage For black men during this time So Ida B. Wells is born before all three of those amendments she is eventually going to be able to live life as a free woman unfortunately she still will just feel a lot of the oppression because she is going to be living in a Jim Crow South Ida B. Wells like I said she was born enslaved she's going to go on to be free so that is going to give her access to attend school The unfortunate part about this is that she's going to have to drop out of school. And the reason why she has to drop out is because her parents, unfortunately, are going to become victims of the yellow fever pandemic. So they are going to lose their lives. And that is going to basically make Ida B. Wells the primary caregiver for her siblings. So what does she do? She leaves school. She goes to get her siblings. And she's actually going to go to Memphis, Tennessee. In Memphis, Tennessee, at this time she's 16 years old, she's actually going to tell them that she's older than what she is and she's going to become an educator. Now, teaching was a lot different during this time. For instance, say you want to teach a group of third grade children, right? You need to just make sure you have a fourth grade education. Say you wanna teach a group of sixth grade children, you need to have a seventh grade education. You almost you almost need to just be like a step ahead of the group that you're teaching because you've already learned that information. So as I said, Ida B. Wells is going to become a teacher. She's going to basically become that primary caregiver for her siblings and she is going to take care of them. Now, the issue is going to come not too long after this. So in 1884, Ida B. Wells is actually going to purchase a ticket for a first class railroad car. She wants to get in the railroad, she wants to ride in first class, and traditionally, ladies, women, would be able to ride in separate cars. That was supposed to be the protection that they were given because of their gender. Unfortunately, during this time, it seemed that that protection was only catered to white women and it was not catered to black women because if you if you look at the precedents. Okay, you have a white woman, she can ride in the lady car. A black woman, she's still black, so she is going to have to unfortunately ride in a segregated car, which is very dangerous. Anything could have happened. Ida B. Wells basically is going to stand up for herself. Listen, I purchased this ticket. I purchased this first class ticket, and I need to be in my first class seat. They unfortunately are going to throw her off of the railroad car, and she is going to sue. She does not win that case. Of course, we know. Especially because of Plessy versus Ferguson, um, they're going to rule Jim Crow constitutional. Separate but equal is law. We do not have to. We do not have to adhere to anything else. Even though you say you purchased this first class ticket, if we determine that you are a black person, you need to be in a black only car, and white people are in a white only car. This is going to ignite Ida B. Wells. She understands that this is not right and this is not equality. And she's going to basically dedicate her entire life for equality for not only just black people, but for women as well. Unfortunately, Ida B. Wells is going to witness another tragedy. So she is going to have a friend. Her friend actually was part owner of a store called the People's Grocery Store. Her friend was getting a lot of business, and this is, of course, a black-owned business. Because the black-owned business was getting a lot of customers, and they basically were, quote-unquote, stealing the customers from the other grocers, the right, the white grocers became upset. They are unfortunately going to lynch Ida B. Wells' friend. We all know that that is not justifiable. We know that there's no reason for you to live. Try to kill anyone or lynch anyone Because they're getting business that you thought belonged to you But it's, it is it is what happened it Is It is what was happening in the Jim Crow South And everybody was angry about this And so many people were standing up for this And Ida B. Wells is going to be one of them What's going to eventually happen is Ida B. Wells will actually leave the South And she is going to go to the North while in the north she is going to start writing she's going to become a great writer and in these writings she is going to start talking about the lynchings of people taking place of course she will talk about her friend she will give a very detailed account of what happened and she's she names names but she also makes sure that If there's other people who were victims of lynchings that she mentions what happens because she understands that this is a problem in America This is a problem and she actually has a book called on lynching That is the title of the book and you can pick it up and you can read it And you'll see just the different accounts and her thoughts about it What I think is very Just intriguing about Ida B. Wells is she actually was threatened. They told her they said look Come back down here and see what happens to you. And she continues to write because she did not let their threats change her mission. And her mission was to shed light on the evil darkness that was happening in the South. They were lynching people because they were black. Throughout Ida B. Wells' life, she's going to be a strong advocate for equal rights rights. She is very much an advocate for women's suffrage as well. The issue with women's suffrage is that many people don't understand that a lot of the suffragettes, like a lot of those movements were not integrated. Many of those white women were not arguing for all rights for all women. They wanted white women to have voting rights. And Ida B. Wells, she made a stand, her and Sojourner Truth, like those were black women who basically were advocating for black suffrage as well for having black women have the right to vote. Ida B. Wells would go right to those marches. And there's been times that she photobombed. Like they they told her that she needed some watch in the back. And Ida B. Wells said, absolutely not. And she understood that even within a movement that was you know there's there's similarities based on gender but all women she understood that there was still a racial division Ida B Wells is going to go on and she's going to become part of the NAACP and she's going to be a major advocate as it relates to what's going on in the school system. She speaks about the segregated schools and the harsh realities of what's happening in segregated schools. We know that when Jim Crow comes about, they say separate but equal is law. But unfortunately, what was happening is in the Jim Crow South, white schools were getting the money, they were getting the materials, they were getting what they needed while black schools were suffering. People were making do with what they had. And not only that, we know that we had the, the terror, the white the white terrorist organizations coming through and bombing and destroying what black people were building. So Ida B. Wells spoke up about that. And she said that there needed to be more equality and more resources given to those schools in the black communities. Ida B. Wells is also going to become part of a group called the NAC. W, National Association of Colored Women's Clubs Like that's what sometimes they refer to it as And they had three main goals Suffrage, civil rights, and promote education This is where we're going to see Mary Church Terrell, Ida B. Wells We do see that um, you can also start to see just women coming together saying, this is what we need to do. We need to make sure that we're a group that's promoting for our our communities. Mary McLeod Bethune is also going to be a strong advocate of that. Mary McLeod Bethune is going to basically form her own school with the thought process of NACW. Ida B. Wells is someone who supported that. She fought for that. She fought for women's suffrage. She fought for civil rights. She's even going to go on and she's actually going to run like in the Republican Party convention. Like she's running to be a delegate. She has a business card. She wants to make sure that like she's in there. And remember, if you just think back during this time, especially right after Reconstruction, a lot of black people are going to be Republicans. We know that there's going to be a shift in political parties and beliefs a little bit later on but during this time a lot of black people were part of the republican party and she is trying to make sure that she's in there because she wants to make sure that she becomes an advocate and she has a voice and she's a representative of what's happening in the segregated south she wants to be an advocate for black people and for education and for suffrage i want to read a quote from ida b wells The quote says, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. And I think that this is going to be the model for her life. Ida B. Wells had a life where she turned the light on all the wrong things that were happening. She chose to continue to speak out against lynching. You cannot just lynch people and think that people are going to forget about it and you don't have to live up to it. She chose to turn the light onto the segregated factors in women's suffrage. You cannot say that you're for women's rights and you're going to put black women in the back or you're going to tell us not to march. She chose to turn a light on to the inequalities of school segregation and school inequalities. You cannot say that separate but equal is law when we know it's not equal, when white schools have more access to materials and supplements than we do. Ida B. Wells is a very... Pivotal figure as well. I think that both of these women were giants. They were brave. They stuck their neck out for not only black people, but in particular for women as well during the time in need. I want you to just think about what I said when we first started. Just standing on the shoulders of giants. I know I started and I said, you know, when we're talking about this, we're thinking about Kamala Harris and how, yes, she's our first black female vice president. But I also think about Shirley Chisholm and I think about Ida B. Wells and I think about the women who were rallying and they were running for different offices and they were in clubs and they were in just different movements and moments trying to better the community and if you never heard of these women I hope that you learn something and I hope that as you travel on and you see things that remind you of them you'll think back to just what they brought into the universe I would like to appreciate you for listening to my first episode of The Gold Prince Speaks. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you just learned something that you did not know before. And stay tuned for more episodes. Have a great one.